1: Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. You can find out more by visiting their website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. They do a great job, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is Naples Illustrated. We have terrific guests for today's show, including Bob Levy, constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. We'll be talking more about immigration policy, law, and reform. We'll visit with Andrew Jopper, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. And Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston and author of several books his latest his cyber uh, cyber warfare targeting America our infrastructure and our future and coming out next month how everything happened including us now this is an expansive view of billions of years of history. can't wait to get my hands on it and read this how everything happened including us. It is July the 1st. Can you believe it? On this day in 1863, one of the largest military conflicts in North American history began when Union and Confederate forces collided at Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. The epic battle lasted three days and resulted in a retreat to Virginia by Robert E. Lee's Army of Northern Virginia. Two months prior to Gettysburg, Lee had dealt a stunning defeat to the Army of the Potomac at Chancellorsville, Virginia, and then made plans for a northern invasion in order to relieve pressure on Weir, War-Weary, Virginia, and to seize the initiative from the Yankees. His army, numbering about 80,000, began moving on June the 3rd. The Army of the Potomac, commanded by Joseph Hooker, and numbering just under 100,000, began moving shortly thereafter, staying between Lee and Washington, D.C., but on June the 28th, frustrated by Lincoln's administration's restrictions on his autonomy as commander, Hooker resigned and was re- replaced by George G. Meade, Meade took command of the Army of the Potomac as Lee's army moved into Pennsylvania. On the morning of July 1st, advanced units from the forces came into contact with one another just outside of Gettysburg. The sound of battle attracted other units, and by noon the conflict was raging. During the first hours of the battle, Union General Robert or John Reynolds was killed, and the Yankees found that they were outnumbered. The battle lines ran around the northwestern rim of Gettysburg. The Confederates applied pressure all along the Union front, and they slowly drove the Yankees through the town. By evening, the Federal troops rallied on high ground on the southeastern edge of uh, Gettysburg. As more troops arrived, Meade's army formed a three-mile-long fishhook-shaped line running from Culp's Hill on the right flank along Cemetery Hill and Cemetery Ridge to the base of Little Round Top. The Confederates held Gettysburg and stretched along a six mile arc along the Union position. Lee's forces uh, would continue to better each end end of the Union position before launching the infamous Pickett's Charge against the Union Center on July 3rd, of course, which was a total disaster. And uh, the Confederates had to retreat as a result. One of the most meaningful things that happened, my Dad Mom took me up to uh, Gettysburg to view what happened there ever since. I've always been a history buff. That's one of the reasons I like to start the show with uh, a piece of history. This was a very bloody battle, one of the most bloody battles. I think we lost something like 600,000 lives during the uh, Civil War. And this, of course, uh, was the turning point of the Civil War, the Battle of Gettysburg. Well, 78 new cases of COVID-19 and three new deaths in Cuyahoga County on Tuesday. The death toll stands at 74, 437 tests reported yesterday by the state for Cuyahoga County, and that's a positivity rate of 17.8%. COVID-19 cases in Caillou have increased to 4,225 with 33,777 tests. That's a 12.51% positivity rate. A total of 323 people in Caillou County have been hospitalized. Most of them uh, have been released. The to uh, hospitalizations are shorter and shorter now. We're not using respirators. We made uh, learned a lot in this whole process. But the point is there's a lot of... A lot of uh, chicken licking the sky is falling type of stuff going on right now uh Florida GOP Governor Ron DeSantis said he's not going to uh, go back to shut down even as coronavirus cases in the state continue to rise. He told reporters yesterday he thinks the surging numbers of COVID-19 cases are not because of stores being open, because social interactions, he said. We're not going back closing things, he said. I don't think that that's really what's driving it. People going into business is not what's driving it. I think what you're seeing is younger folks, I think a lot of as more just social interactions is so natural. Florida has totaled more than 152,000 coronavirus cases on Tuesday, including at least 30,500 deaths. We're open. We know what we need to protect most of the folks in the younger demographics. Although we want them to be mindful of what's going on, are just simply much much less at risk. And these folks who are older are in the older age groups, uh, said DeSantis. So he really is saying older folks need to take care of themselves. Now, here's the interesting thing to me. When did flatten the curve? Now, remember what flatten the curve was all about? It was all about hospitalizations. Now it's all about cases, isn't it? Uh, The uh, mainstream media, again, trying to stir up, uh, 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 fan the flames of uh, fear. So the f- flatten the curve has now become we res- reserve the right to panic. and Everybody should panic, according to the mainstream media, because we have more and more cases. Well, I repeat myself, but I've, I truly believe that this pandemic is going to spread irrespective of uh, what we do. It'll just lengthen the amount of time uh, if we uh, put measures in place, for example, to close restaurants and so forth. But uh Frankly, younger people are just, they're maybe getting it, maybe mild symptoms or they're asymptomatic. But uh, we just need to get through this thing and we can best do it by getting uh, herd immunity. 70% of the people get it. 1.25% who get it end up dying. And most of those, 50, 40, 50% of those will be with compromised immune systems. Some of which will be young because their immune systems are compromised. Don't forget they have diabetes and other diseases as well. Well, Blue Provence is incredibly honored to announce that they've received the Wine Spectator's prestigious Grand Award for the sixth consecutive year. That's right here on the Paradise Coast. Jacques Cario said that we're thrilled to be included in the select group of a hundred rep- represent excuse me restaurants worldwide celebrating their sixth. Year, 16th year of being recognized and awarded by Wine Spectator is something we once dreamed of. We look forward to celebrating more, many more years to come. Great restaurant. Great place to go. Uh, Blue Provence. Uh, uh, again, sixth year. One of the top 100 restaurants because of the wines that they carry. U.S. Major Stock Index has posted a strong rally yesterday, up 217, for the quarter, the Dow posted its best performance in 33 years, gaining 17%, while the S&P rose 20% and the Nasdaq surged 30% last quarter. Doesn't mean a lot, though, because most people look at their portfolios and say, well, still got a ways to go to get back to where we were, but irrespective, it's nice to see it going up. Right now, futures are down, though. Well, Fox, uh, Fox News Tucker Carlson has the most successful quarter viewership in the history of cable news, with an average of 4.33 million viewers per night during his 8 p.m. slot. I, we never miss Tucker Carlson show. It is aside from the music that that opens the show, it is a fantastic show. Well, yesterday he had a very very poignant opening. He called on voters to hold Republicans accountable in the aftermath of Monday's interview with Senator Mike Braun. Uh, He's a Republican from Indiana. He's introduced a bill to would limit qualified immunity for law enforcement. And I think Tucker's point is that, hey, look, why are we messing around with this nonsense? We have a crisis at hand right now with what's happening in the streets and the culture of the United States of America. He basically said there's three things that we have to do if we want to get through this. We have to hold Republicans accountable for three things. First is vigorous defense of total equality under the law. We are equal because we are citizens. Every American has precisely the same rights as every other American, period, he said. This is a promise of America, he said. It's why Americans pe- millions of people move here for a long time. But it's obvious because no longer is it obvious. And there are many who, w- who are working in the opposite direction. Republicans must counterbalance this. They must work as hard as they can to make America fair again, he said. Don't get caught in pointless debates about whether or not it's a racist country, he added. Clearly it isn't. Prove it by making it less racist, by making it colorblind, a colorblind meritocracy. This is our promise, he said. The second point, he called on Republicans to defend our freedom of speech. He said, we're not a free society without that, he said. This is not simply a debate about the First Amendment and its limits. It's bigger than and it's uh, more important. If you can't articulate something, if you're not allowed, if you can't think, and that's precisely what authoritarians are trying to control, language, they're trying to control your mind. Republicans should lead the fight against this without shame. Americans have the absolute right to tell the truth. This is not negotiable. And then the third thing he said is, Uh, We must never forget, in the end, that the Republican Party exists to serve the interests of normal people. So three simple things. He says, uh, really, the Republican Party is the last hope we have to hold up against uh, what's happening to American society right now. The Democrats have caved in. Society is, uh, we're really counting on the Republican Party to hold up its end, and we can't have uh, Republicans, elected officials, whistling past the graveyard hoping this will all go away because it won't. Great segment by Tucker Carlson. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Find out more by visiting johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Naples Illustrated, bringing you infinite luxury lifestyles. The website is naplesillustrated.com. Coming up, we're going to visit with Bob Levy. Bob is a constitutional scholar. He's an author. He's also the chairman of the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food and a rockin' good time. Bee's diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Bee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulaby's diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch, no Golf Shore Playhouse, devoted to creating professional New York-style theater at its very best and at affordable prices, presents a fabulous new season of productions beginning in November with a world premiere of a one-man show written by and starring the talented associate artistic director of Golf Shore Playhouse, Jeffrey Bender. Pin Up Girls opens in January, singing a cavalcade of hits inspired by real letters from our troops overseas. Inspired by what they find funny, romantic, heartbreaking, and sexy, the ladies put on a show that celebrate the guys and gals who fight to defend our country. Bang Bang opens in March, written by legendary actor of Monty Python fame, John Cleese. You'll surely be wiping away tears of laughter with this one. William Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream opens in March. Meddling parents, impetuous young lovers and cunning fairies collide in Shakespeare's enchanting classic. Another Revolution by Jacqueline Bircher opens in May. You won't want to miss this timely new work about finding hope in one another through the uncertainty of the world around us. What a terrific season of productions. Tickets for this great new season are available now. Tickets start at only $38. Tickets can be purchased by calling the box office at 866-811-4111 or visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show.
1: And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best, and just offering great education programs, great theater. You can find out more by visiting the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Larry Bell. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. As I mentioned, he's an author. He's also a constitutional scholar and chairman of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you.
1: Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute.
2: We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in Washington, D.C., and focused on free markets, private property, securing individual rights, and limited government. C A T O dot on the web.
1: So, Bob, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about immigration, law reform, uh, policy, and so forth. How about President Trump's travel ban? Uh, what are the issues there?
2: there were two issues uh, did the travel ban violate the establishment clause of the first amendment which says there's got to be separation between church and state by discriminating against muslims and the second issue uh... did the president exceed his authority under the immigration and nationality act uh... back in nineteen fifty two uh... by banning uh, travel without an act of congress
1: Hmm. Well, remind us how the travel ban unfolded.
2: The the chronology, uh, a week after taking office, uh, Trump issued an executive order Mm -hmm. that temporarily banned travel from seven countries. Uh, There were some critics who said the ban was anti-Muslim, and others who said it wasn't justified by national security concerns. And a week later, uh, a federal judge actually put the entire ban on hold. So Trump revised his executive order. Mm-hmm. He dropped uh, Iraq from the list of countries. He stripped some language that would have favored uh, certain religious groups. And some months later, the Supreme Court said, OK, you can go ahead uh, with the ban, with the exception of a few people who had a what's called a bona fide relationship to the United States. And then Trump decided uh, <clears throat> he wanted to cancel the order and replace it with version number 3 where he added and this was of course an attempt to to uh, diffuse the notion that it was anti-muslim he added north korea to the ban he hmm. added venezuela to the ban and he deleted sudan which was a muslim country so interestingly there was no citizen of any country on that list had carried out a fatal terrorist attack on american soil in the previous 20 years and also interesting Fifteen of the nineteen nine eleven hijackers were, as we know, from Saudi Arabia, and Saudi Arabia was not on the list. Mm-hmm. So there was some question um, as to whether or not the ban was really intended uh, for national security purposes, and that was the controversy.
1: Still, I, you know, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the ability to make these decisions is actually included right in the Constitution.
2: Yeah, well, that's what came to the court, and that's what the Supreme Court uh, had to decide after the appellate courts took a little look at it too. Yeah.
1: So, what does the ban? uh, Where does it stand now in the appellate courts and the Supreme Court?
2: The Supreme Court in 2017 allowed the ban to take effect um, on a temporary basis, and then it went back to the appellate courts, and the Ninth Circuit said that the ban. Was not linked to national security and exceeded his statutory authority. And then the Third Circuit said, yes, the ban does unconstitutionally discriminate against Muslims. So they wanted to stop the ban. Mm-hmm. And the Supreme Court again had a step in, decided to uh, take one of the cases, which was Trump versus Hawaii. And Chief Justice Roberts, uh, joined by the uh, four conservatives, uh, held that the president does have broad discretion as you noted to suspend the entry of entry alien uh, of aliens from certain countries um, <clears throat> and the immigration and nationality act said the supreme court authorized him to deny entry if it would be detrimental to us uh, interests and since trump's executive order said nothing about religion and since the restricted countries uh, had been designated by congress uh, or by prior administrations as indeed national security risks then roberts concluded that you know the court wasn't going to step in and substitute its own judgment uh for the judgment of the chief executive on uh, matters of of national security
1: so good decision there so is the travel ban necessary to protect against terrorists in your opinion
2: well in my opinion uh not likely uh, of course there's wide variations and views on that matter. I think quite aside from the legal arguments, there is this underlying policy question, is it a good idea? Uh, that's separate from the constitutional question. Mm-hmm. So according to a Cato Institute research paper, uh, the chance of being killed by a foreign-born terrorist uh, since 1975 is one in 3.6 million uh, per year, which is about one-fifth as high as the, the risk of drowning in a bathtub. And the... Uh, the chance of being killed in a terrorist attack by somebody who entered the U.S. illegally is an astronomical one in 11 billion uh, per year. Bear in mind that the terrorist-related deaths uh, were, most of them were from 9-11, and none of those murders, murderers were here uh, illegally. And the State Department itself is, as, uh, has reported, and this is a quote, there is no credible information, now this was through 2016 that any member of a terrorist group has traveled through Mexico to gain access uh, to the United States. Mm-hmm. So I, I think uh, my conclusion is, and uh, the folks at Cato who specialize in this area, that that no, it's not likely to be necessary for national security purposes, uh, which is quite separate from whether or not the president is authorized to make those uh, decisions. Mm-hmm. The court has said, yes, he is.
1: Of course, it reminds me of the, of the point that uh, terrorism, the purpose is not necessarily just to kill some folks, but it's to create a sense of terror in the country, like bringing about all the things that we've done in order to protect ourselves, for example, at the, in airports and so forth. So in, in that sense, uh, it's kind of like the coronavirus, isn't it? Well, indeed.
2: I mean, if there is a perception that we're under some threat, then, of course, by diminishing that perception, you do the country a service.
1: Absolutely. Uh, again, well, let, let me ask this one other question. What about drugs crossing the border?
2: Well, Trump said uh, that the southern border is a pipeline for vast quantities of uh, illegal drugs, but the you know, the DEA says that only a small percentage of drugs comes across <clears throat> between these legal ports of entry because the cartels hide drugs in cars and trucks and buses and trains and underground tunnels and none of that would be affected by a border wall. Mm-hmm. Uh, they come through, uh, you know, the usual ports of entry. Um, if there were a problem, I think the best remedy there would be drug legalization. Yeah, uh, and as a bonus, of course, we'd be confronting this gang-related violence in the United States and the and the lawlessness that propels a lot of these asylum seekers from Central America. And because drugs are illegal. Uh, the participants in the narcotics trade can't go to court to settle disputes, so they settle them by force on the streets of El Salvador and Guatemala and Honduras, and therein lies our uh, asylum problem. Yeah. Meanwhile, DEA you know, has thousands of agents uh, who could be fighting real crime or terrorism, and the uh, immigration system uh, remains broken because of that, and the war on drugs. It's fair to say it's been an unmitigated
1: disaster. A total disaster. Absolutely. All the resources that we put towards uh, towards that, people in jail for uh, crimes that that are not against other human beings or their, or their property. Uh, and, you know, quite frankly, uh, as a libertarian, I just prefer all of us to be able to make our own decisions about their, our own bodies. And if we were to do that, we could alleviate a lot of expense and a lot of crime across the United States and around the world, quite frankly. Right on. Right but, on, uh, Bob Levy, again, the chairman of the Cato Institute, and encourage you to visit Cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us.
2: Always a pleasure, Bob. Good to be with you.
1: Thank you so much, Bob. All right, coming up, we're we'll going to be uh, visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor at Mercy College and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability, creating policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and I'm proud to be on the board uh, serving with the Foundation for Government Accountability. You can find out more by visiting vfga dot org. Coming up, going to visit with Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. Right now, we have with us Professor Andrew Joppa. He's an author. He's also written. Uh, uh, Book called Josephus of Oz, a terrific read. Uh, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy. Well, Independence coming up in just a couple of days. Here it is July 1st, and we're going to be celebrating our independence on July the 4th. Any thoughts?
3: Well, I just published a, an essay on Independence Day. It's um, it, obviously, of course, for celebration. It should be always for Americans. Uh, But I offer perhaps the sobering thought that uh, within a year, let's say next July 4th in 2021, uh, there is a doubt that we'll even be celebrating that. If we look at the tearing down of the statues, uh, many of them uh, are remembrances of great American heroes, profound heroes, Washington, Jefferson, even Lincoln, Um, the the suggestion that Mount Rushmore is is under under threat. Uh, And if we look at the possibility of how this all may unfold, it may be, this may be our last. Independence Day that we actually celebrate in the form that we currently do. So uh, that certainly is a, is a pessimistic comment. I'm not predicting that. But I think if we look at the flow of current events, I think that is a uh, unfortunate a possibility in, in the future, Bob.
1: Um, well, let me just, just of, let, me com- let me comment on that, if I may. Um, y- you know, I, I talk, I don't know if you watched uh, Tucker Carlson's uh, program last night. I yes, al- I do. I always do. And uh, last night he talked about the three things that Republicans have to do in order to save the country. I thought it was such a poignant, important uh, discussion. But I think his sense of urgency matches up very well with yours.
3: There's no doubt. And again, it always leaves unanswered. Well, how do we accomplish these things? How do we put the uh, the The fear of the Lord in these republicans it it seems to be almost impossible we We have a situation where perhaps the best way to uh, to teach these Republicans a lesson, if I might uh, mm-hmm. is to not vote for them. Of course, that will cost us perhaps the Senate and uh, if we lose the Senate, can we ever ever get it back again? So these Republicans who are uh, not supporting the president, not supporting the issues that that need support know that uh, we Republican voters are going to pull the lever for them uh, not because it's them, but because we know we need the numbers. And uh, so it's a very difficult situation to pressure these people into the positions that, that Tucker believes they, they should be taking. And I believe, and I, I think you believe in most ways, Bob.
1: Absolutely. So uh, let's talk a little bit more about what's happening in the country right now uh, with regard to the, uh, the culture and what's happening on the streets of, uh, of the United States.
3: Okay, let me just two quick early comments. One is commonplace, but I just feel the compulsion to say something. Why does anyone care about what Anthony Fauci says? Uh, the, the man seems to have been wrong in almost every position he's taken. Now he's suggesting that there'll be a hundred thousand new cases a day of COVID-19. His errors always seem to be on the side of closing down America, Bob. And I, I have to feel there's a, Certainly, a degree of politicization to uh, to what he's doing. Absolutely, but why anyone cares, why he says, is, is beyond my my understanding. When someone's been wrong every time the next time does
1: not lend any credibility to what they're saying. Well, in fact, earlier in the show, I mentioned the fact that the, the they're changing the scent right now. It used to be flattening the curve. That had to do with making sure that there were hospital beds to take care of any kind of crisis. And I thought, you know, that certainly makes sense. But right now, it's not flattening the curve. It's uh, increased cases, more cases of COVID-19. That's supposed to be the big scary thing that's going on. To me... You know, it just seems to me that this thing is going to take its course, no matter what we do. So, about seventy percent of the people are going to get it, and about point two five percent of those that get it are going to end up dying. And about half of those are going to be those with com- uh, compromised immune systems. Those are—that's kind of how this all lays out. Let's go about living our lives.
3: The, those numbers are very consistent that you mentioned, and they seem to be independent of anything we do. Uh, and again, if we if we look at the uh, the, the Hippocratic Oath and what I Uh, Any physician should be involved with it's not only the physical health of the patient, but also the the economic well being, the total life of that person. I think that uh, is there's a failure of Fauci. It is the is the ignoring of the total life of the uh, of the patient. If I might, that's the entire American people at this point. Uh, Can we persist for another five months, six months, a year, or as Fauci might even suggest, two years uh, until there is absolutely no? And I just heard last night on. Uh, I don't know where I heard it. It wasn't a definite position, but uh, there, apparently there's a possibility we may interject the swine flu into this whole process. Right. That was—it's uh, already happening, and in in, uh, in pig to to human. Once it goes human to human, then we may be looking at another uh, possible epidemic on top of COVID nineteen. So uh, we have to start living our lives, as you suggested, Bob. We have to open up the economic system. This is how we pay our bills. This is how we feed our family. This is how we build our futures. And it cannot tolerate an indefinite period of time in which all of the uh, issues. And the elements that make that possible are, are suppressed.
1: You know, I had a it conversation a with I had I had a conversation with Bob Levy in the in the previous segment and we were talking about immigration law and this one thought to popped into my mind and as the more I think about it, I think it, it, it has some merit, and that is uh, we we are concerned about terrorism and of course when we have acts of terror in the United States, it's not necessarily about killing the people that are involved, it's all about creating a sense of fear in all of us. In a sense, we have health care terror going on right now. People are so concerned about this pandemic. Oh my God! I'm going to die, or somebody's going to die as a result of all this. That we've way over we're overreacted to this situation. And look, this is no no. You probably have more danger getting on a bicycle and riding down Gulf Shore Boulevard than you do from dying from this virus.
3: Well, there, there, there's no doubt. I mean, if we look at the number of deaths on the roads of America because of drunk drivers, we don't. You know, we're not banning alcohol again because we know that's useless. It, it is inappropriate and impossible to ban the essential life actions of a people. This is not something that's, that's healthy. I, I know there are real issues with COVID-19, but certainly the, the economic outcomes of America in the future are as uh, at least an equal consideration. Uh, so uh, by the way, I just had breakfast on Monday with a friend and neither one of us wore
1: masks. <laughs> <laughs> <add> that <little. laughs> was that you and I? I think it was. <laughs> I, I, I think that was. If I remember now, yeah. <laughs> so, but, but you, uh,
3: let, let me just talk about something else real quick because sh- it's, it's sh- annoying me. Uh, the American uh, Affairs Journal, which you may be familiar with, is generally cited as being the the go to journal to uh, understand the projected destination of conservative thought. Uh, the editor of that of that journal, uh, Julius Crine, recently published a. Uh, uh, an essay titled America's Unhealthy Gerontocracy. Uh, that would be the elderly people who control America, which is uh, certainly an interesting topic considering the number of agents that are uh, running our, our, our political systems and, and even elsewhere. But right. that isn't the point I'm going to make. The point is there's a, an, an anger to this, to his screed. Uh, there is a palpable anger. Let me just cite uh, a few comments, and I, because if this is the projected future of conservative thought, I think there has to be an awareness of, of what we, where we might be going. Uh, crime says, uh, as it pertains to COVID-19, instead, policymakers pretend that there is no difference between a 30-year-old and a 70-year-old. Why? Listen to this. Perhaps because baby boomers cannot imagine the world existing without them, because they can't even conceive of the existence of anyone but themselves. He goes on to say, one statistic not readily available is the number of young people's lives that have been stifled or destroyed to preserve the precious egos of the boomer generation. I'm mean, that, that is an angry angry screed, Bob. It uh, is
1: an angry uh, screed. That is so interesting. So interesting. And it's a line of thought that I've never even considered. You know, I want to continue the visit here, Andy. Can you stick around? I'll be here, Bob. All right. We're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show. Here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. back to the Bob Harton show and now here's your
1: host Bob Har thanks so much for joining us here on the show mention of st. Matthew's house it reminds me of Justin's uh, house that uh, was having its graduation uh, named after uh, Jerry Hollichick' son uh, who uh, died and uh, from addiction so in nevertheless I'm, I'm pointing out that uh, Lulaby's Diner, located in the Green Tree Shopping Center, is where uh, Andy and I had breakfast together. Please patronize them because they're going all through all kinds of modernization of the uh, and uh, construction for the uh, for the, uh, the the mall there. And I think it's going to inhibit their business a little bit. Green uh, the uh, Lullaby's Grill is a great place. Lullaby's Diner is a great place to have uh, lunch or breakfast. So I hope you'll stop by and visit them. Continuing the conversation with Andrew Joppa and Andy, uh, you know we're. Right now, in the context of a lot of violence, Black Lives Matter. It's so interesting that few of the people that participated Black Lives Matter are actually black. <laughs> but that <No>. aside, <laughs> what are your no thoughts? Question.
3: Well, you know, I, I think um, unfortunately, this connotation of Black Lives Matter and our understanding of it' it's anti-American, anti-police, uh, uh, it's, it's anti-everything that we stand for, right. uh, might lead some people to believe that there is a, an African American problem. I would like to suggest that the most profound, positive, intellectual contribution taking place in America right now is taking place because of African-American conservative intellectuals. They are far stronger and, I believe, wiser than almost anyone else in the, what I would call the, the white world. Normally I don't call it that, but for the purpose of this discussion I will. Mm-hmm. If we look at uh, Thomas Sowell, most people know Thomas Sowell, many don't. He, he just turned 90, but recently Thomas Sowell said, racism is not dead, but is on life support. Kept alive mainly by the people who use it for an excuse or to keep minority communities fearful or resentful enough to turn out as a voting block on election day. Hmm. I doubt you're going to hear any white politician expressing a comparable thought. If we go to the Supreme Court, who has been the most consistent and profoundly uh, uh, meaningful uh, uh, originalist on the court? Certainly it's been Clarence Thomas. Yes, uh, In the recent Louisiana abortion decision, uh, Clarence, Thomas, uh, Clarence Thomas and his dissent offered but those decisions created the right to abortion out of whole cloth, without a shred of support from the Constitution's text. Our abortion precedents are grievously wrong and should be overruled. Once again, Thomas uh, avoids the issue itself, which is the uh, what the court should do, and deals only with the constitutionality of it, which is what the court should be dealing with in every issue, uh, but uh, fails to do so in many cases, particularly uh, John Roberts. So. Clarence Thomas is a consistent voice of, uh, of constitutional originalism. Yes. If we look at... Uh, Bob, if you want to say something as I go along... <laughs> no,
1: no, no, Andy, I don't want to inter- interrupt your train of thought. Go ahead. Uh,
3: if we look at Robert Johnson, the head of... Um, who founded... co-founder of BET, Black Entertainment Television, uh, he said, look, the people who are basically tearing down the statues trying to make a statement are basically borderline anarchists really have no agenda other than the idea we're going to topple a statue. Uh, He goes on to say that uh, he's amazed that that, uh, that at the white community, the white liberal community and the black community, he suggests is laughing at them. He says the black community hasn't had the slightest interest in these statues, that this is entirely a white liberal issue, nothing to do with blacks, who, as I say, uh, he says, all blacks are laughing at whites. If we look at Shelby Steele, uh, Shelby Steele has been a- around in the uh, the, um, the American uh, world for, I'm guessing, 30 or 40 years now that I'm aware of him. Uh, he says re- recently, claims of systemic racism are doing nothing other than expanding the territory of entitlement, that they are artificially contrived uh, to merely expand the potentialities for entitlement. Uh, if we look at a a uh, civil rights attorney Leo Terrell
1: How about uh, Leo Terrell Isn't he he How,
3: how about Leo
1: Terrell He did so because this guy was so liberal and now just to hear him talk he gets so worked up right now about what's happening with Black Lives Matter he's a he's a former civil rights attorney and former teacher and professor and so forth but this guy it's just amazing to hear what he has to say
3: Sometimes the truth overwhelms any kind of prior ideology. It doesn't happen with many, but with Leo Terrell, that certainly happened. Uh, where he said Black Lives Matter is profiting on a false narrative, right. and he has been one of the hardest-hitting people in that area of anyone in America. And you're not going to find any white politician that even resembles the strength of a Leo Terrell in these current discussions. If we look at uh, uh, a voice that most people don't know about, is Lloyd Marcus. Lloyd Marcus was. Uh, perhaps the leading uh, black to emerge from the Tea Party movement. Uh, And he recently said, uh, talking about Black Lives Matter, he said the entirety of the existence of Black Lives Matter is a derivative of the fake news media. Uh, So here I've given uh, five or six different uh, uh, African-American voices, and these are not just incidental voices in these discussions. These are profound voices that that I think are being listened to and should be listened
1: to. By. Yeah, I want to I include Walter E. Williams from a uh, uh, college up in, uh, what's the name of it, up in uh, Virginia. Uh, George Mason. George Mason University, and uh, he is so wise, has so much wisdom, but he what he points out is, look, here are the real issues for blacks. Please understand that what they need is school choice, and he goes on, just as opposed to reacting to Black Lives Matter, he's all focused on what can we do to improve our lives, and basically it's well, just get out of our lives. Quit trying to help us. We can do it on our own.
3: Well, and, and a theme, uh, a theme through uh, many of these uh, black uh, intellectuals is the the need for the for the black community to at least evaluate, consider its own behavioral process. Right. Uh, he's, they don't shift blame entirely to that black community, but they say if you leave that out of the discussion. You have no chance of resolving the issues. And I, I think that if, if a white politician certainly said that, they would be immediately branded a racist. Now, perhaps there's an easy uh, out for, uh, for black intellectuals uh, because they're black. But it, in reality, these people are labeled as Uncle Toms and as Oreos and a whole variety of nasty names that they're called. Uh, so they take a lot of heat. If we add into this discussion Candace Owens, a, yes. a young woman who tours American colleges, and yes. uh, she takes a tremendous amount of heat, including her life beyond, under, under threat when she said, look, George Floyd, her, his death was regrettable, and it shouldn't have happened in the way it happened, certainly. But she says this man was a thug and a criminal, and for to uh, raise him up as a hero uh, for the black community is an absolute outrage. So if we, if we look at these black contributions, uh, I think they are the most profound taking place in America right now. And I think we have to stop for a moment and identify that. And understand that Black Lives Matter does not define the Black community. That it is voices that I've mentioned that really do so, and, and I think they have to be given the respect they're entitled.
1: Well, absolutely. You know, they certainly have my respect, and I know they have your respect, Andy. Unfortunately, they don't get a voice on mainstream media because mainstream media will not promote their message, and uh, that's just extremely unfortunate. They are important voices. And, uh, you know, it just uh, just makes me think of.
3: Just uh, to to reinforce that point, Bob, I was uh, teaching in the Bronx and Manhattan quite frequently. Uh, uh, My courses when I was uh, in the classroom were were there. And I would bring up the name of of Thomas Sowell, for example. And I I can honestly say this is not hyperbole. uh, I had never met an inner city black who ever heard of Thomas Sowell. And I said, my God, man, you have the most widely published and widely respected economist in America, perhaps and you don't know him, that, that, you have to stop and think to yourself, as I would talk to my, to my African-American students, why not? Why is that name, that profound name, that profound contributor, not part of your understanding of the of the potential of the black community. Yeah, um, it was an outrage.
1: Yeah, oh, got such an important message. Again, the message is out there. We just need to find channels and ways to promote these messages. And again, I come back to the passion of Leo Terrell the other evening. On it was just unbelievable to think about his background only probably a month ago he was pushing the liberal cause and right now he, one of
3: the most amazing stories in this country right now is leo terrell no doubt Bob.
1: no question you know andy always i'm never, <laughs> never sure where this conversation is going to go but it's always very passionate always very informed and very very uh, just great information thank you so much for joining us
3: i appreciate those comments Bob.
1: Thank absolutely you. andy alright coming up we're gonna visit with professor Larry bell this man is a great man uh, professor bell He has been extremely, uh, very important in the entire space program. He's the uh, endowed professor of space architecture. That's basically creating spaces for uh, very extreme conditions like outer space. He's also the author of several books. His latest is Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. But he's got a new book coming out as well. We'll talk about that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
0: Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network.
1: Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. And you can get tickets now by visiting the website golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us, as I mentioned before the break, Professor Larry Bell, endowed professor at the University of Houston. He's also written several books. I've read most of them, uh, if not all of them, actually. Uh, His latest is Cyber Warfare, Targeting America, Our Infrastructure, and Our Future. And now coming out later this month is How Everything Happened, Including Us. Really looking forward to that. Professor, welcome to the show.
4: Bob, thanks for having me again.
1: Always a pleasure. Can you give us a little tease on the book and the new book coming out?
4: Yeah, uh, it's a it's a the the title sort of says it how everything happened, including us. uh, It's it's a history and it's a history of science and a history of of life book, and it's it's you know it's it's a serious book. I don't think it's. I try to make it readable, but it goes back to even. The beginning of the universe and uh as we know it or as we understand it and 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 one of the fascinating things is and it it looks at events you know major events and of course the 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 difficult times you know, aspect of it you say well, what's a major event you know what when you're looking at the you know the universe and looking at planet earth and so on what are the what are the major events and so it's not about North America, it's, and you know, it's really about the, the 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 birth of life and the birth of the empires, and and um, you know, it, it talks about how you know even prior to that, how how uh, you know, it's it's really about the evolution of life and various mass extinctions that have occurred, and
0: hmm.
4: somehow we were always, you know, our. Precursors were always uh, on the winning side of things, fortunately and and but one of the things I found really interesting as I went back and re, you know reread the book and and try to you know try to uh, process all of it because it's just you know you know the world and life and nature is just mind boggling. But is how how long it took for for our life to become established and. Even the first cell, the first living cell, and, hmm. and and then you you look through you know first first billions of years, and then hundreds of millions of years, and, and hundreds of thousands of years, and so on. And you look at the accelerated pace of things, and it's just it's just staggering. Uh, uh, and, and you look at today, what's what happens in ten years? What's happened in the last year was happening last month.
1: Yeah. Just and, a-
4: and, 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 and I and the charts at the beginning of the book, I take it, you know through these time segments and and you see with the information revolution how how it just it's just staggeringly fast. We're we're inventing machines now that can outthink ourselves. Yeah. And and uh, and there's a there's a kind of word of concern in it, you know. Um are we doing yourself a favor, you know? Um,
1: yeah. It, but
4: it's, I thought it's a fascinating book. I reread it recently, uh, kind of looking at it holistically because I was trying to catch all the, any remaining typos and, yeah. and you read it from beginning, to, you know, from beginning to end and, and, and I really recommend
1: it I think it's a good book well I'm looking forward to reading it I've, again I've read your the the one about uh, climate change is Scared Witless the Prophets of Prophets of Climate Doom a great read and uh, other books that you've written uh, Cyber Warfare Targeting America Our Infrastructure and Our Future that's a great read as scary as as heck as I, <laughs> it's really scary to read about all the uh, the vulnerabilities that we have but How Everything Happened including us looking forward it's coming out on Amazon and Kindle later this month. I just recommend it to our, to our listeners. Before I let you go, though, I do want to talk about your column in Newsmax. Uh, Professor Bell writes uh, On Point in Newsmax. So it's pretty much of a weekly type of column. The latest is Reimagine Calling 911 With No Answer. Scary stuff. Maybe you can tell us about it.
4: Yeah, I think we're all scratching our heads now where we see this, you know, this really a lot of chaos in cities and and um, you know the you know the protests that that sort of morphed into into riots and, and shootings and so on and and uh, we, I think scratch our has to say now they talk about defunding and eliminating police and I said you know it's just basically you, be, you know you could be comical I say well you know what how's that going to work out? But it's really tragic uh, because this, uh, you know, Seattle is the is 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 eliminating its police force altogether, and New York just you know cut a billion last night cut a billion dollars off of their wow. I think six billion dollar budget, and you think how crazy this is? It's just absolutely crazy, and you think of what it does to the morale of the police and in our our reliance upon them, and so on, and. And this is really a city and state matter. It's not a federal government matter. So right, the states and cities are, are really destroying themselves.
1: Oh, they are. And, you know, Professor, you're seeing, reading now, of 300, 400 police want to go have early retirement in New York City. You know, this is so demoralizing to people who are actually trained to serve us, and they're dedicating their professional lives to, to protect us. Uh, the visual uh, picture of these two people living in their home in a private street, uh, walking outside with he's got a semi-automatic weapon, she's got a pistol, and uh, people who broke in, and uh, it's basically this Black Lives Matter movement. Um, of course, none of them are black, which is kind of interesting too. But <laughs> nevertheless, you see the op- the possibility of lawlessness. It's a it's a scary, scary visual and and uh, mental thought.
4: That and also you mentioned you see uh, majority of them are. are are white white you know young people mm-hmm. uh relatively few blacks, but also I was looking at some some polls and and the and the black community is not for is not either for the, of course the rioting or whatever, but they're also not for reducing you know police protections because they're the ones most vulnerable and and you and when you when you poll them, they're not happy about reducing you know police presence because they're the ones that you know, that, that suffer the greatest impact in many cases in these in these areas that are hardest hit. So yeah. it's really tragic, and you wonder how in the world and where in the world are we going to come out of this.
1: You know, you'd made a recommendation. You mentioned that when you walk through an airport, or you see a, a law enforcement officer or one of the first responders, you make a point of uh, thanking them. And uh, that had such impact on me, I actually went to one of our substations. I, you know, I don't run across... Uh, law enforcement officers in, too often and I went in to ask for the lieutenant and had an opportunity just to thank him uh, f- for everything that they do in order to protect us. It's so important. I want people to understand that they need our support right now because I can't imagine, Job, that it would be more discouraging than having uh, elected officials, Black Lives Matter, all this stuff, you know, basically uh, tearing down what they're working in hard to uh, to reinforce.
4: What was the response when you did that?
1: He said thank you. He was he was very grateful. He was just just you know, his eyes kind of shine and he he shook my hand <laughs> and I, I kind of withdrew my hand because I realized I'm not supposed to do that. <laughs> he said, "Don't worry, I get tested every day." <laughs> so, but he was very grateful for the for the uh, effort for the uh, gesture.
4: Don't we all feel good when somebody unexpectedly gives us a smile or? A kind, you know, friendly gesture, and recognizes us uh, even in small ways. I think, I think we all, most all of us, really kind of lights up our day when when somebody acknowledges us in some small way, and and the police go through through so much. Yeah, Uh, the the notion that we would disrespect them, and and uh, much less. do what New York's doing and Seattle's doing and other cities are calling for this. To 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 give into a crowd, a, a lawless crowd. that says you need less law enforcement. Is such a paradox? And and the thought that politicians would would do this to, would yield to this pressure. It's just mind-numbing.
1: Absolutely. Again, Professor Larry Bell, I encourage you to take a look at how everything happened, including us. And go to Newsmax.com and check out On Point, Professor Bell's column. Uh, I think you'll appreciate it. Professor, I always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thanks so much for joining us. And Bob, and thank you. My pleasure, indeed. Well, that's a wrap here in today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. Uh, we have great guests lined up for tomorrow. Uh, I any have any comments or if you'd like to get on the mailing list for my newsletter that I send out after each show, you can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com, bobharden at hotmail.com. Also, if you enjoy the show, tell your friends. I'd appreciate that as well. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste.
0: Thanks so much for listening to the